Welcome back to The Few Show, everybody. I'm joined today by my guest, Sean Higgins. Sean earned an MBA in entrepreneurship and finance from the University of St. Thomas. He's the CEO of Better You, which is a digital coach that helps people make the most of their day. They use AI to help people find more time in the day for their health. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hi, thanks for having me, Jim. So let's kick off. I'm captivated immediately by the landing page at uh, Better You. Right before the fold, it says, get 30 minutes of your time each day. You get 30 minutes of you time each day. So tell me more about how Better You works and, and the audience that you serve. Yeah, for sure. So Better You, just as you mentioned, we created this AI-powered coach. What it does is it measures how you spend your time currently. And so, Jim, if you were to take a wild guess how people are spending the bulk of their time today, think about their free time, not when they're asleep. Mm-hmm. Any guesses what, you, what folks are up to? I, I'm, I'm sure mine is slightly different. I'm weird. Like the calculator is the number three app on my phone. Oh like, man, you're, you're an enigma. But I'm guessing social media. I, I've got two. Yeah, for sure. So, like so it's actually the, three, like they spend tons of time on social media. Device time actually as a whole is the answer, right? And so device time has been the answer since 2007. Mm. So all the way back then, device time was the number one spot we found our free time going. In 2007, I had a silver razor flip phone. Totally. Those were so cool. They were. Mine only lasted me eight months, though. I broke it. I leaned back on my chair and crack. Oh, it was gone. And so for us, we said, okay, people are spending a lot of their time on devices. What if we could put an AI coach on your device? Because if you've ever had those moments where you get to the end of the week and you said, man, I didn't do this thing. I didn't call my parents. I didn't go to the gym. I didn't do this. Yeah. And there wasn't enough time. There just wasn't enough time. And if you've ever pulled up your screen time report or looked at kind of where the day goes, you kind of realize, wait a minute, there, there was enough time. It was Instagram, Netflix, YouTube, all these things that kind of got in my way. And so we said, huh, if you just put an AI on your phone, it could measure how you're spending that time. It could link it to the goals you care about, like calling a friend, going to bed at a reasonable hour, whatever it is. And then the most important part is in the moment when I'm about to go for that next Netflix episode, but I haven't called mom all week, it could send me something that says, hey, Sean, we said mom was important this week. Why don't we get on FaceTime? And so that is, in a nutshell, what we do. That's how we help people find that 30 minutes of you time every day. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I think so often, and I talk to founders a lot about this, is like getting to the end of the day and feeling a sense of joy, peace, com- completeness, you know, with the day. Yep. It's like almost always, for myself and many others, there's a sense of disappointment, yep. right? Because I just... It's not that I didn't do enough. I did too much of the wrong things, or I didn't do enough of what I would tell you in the early part of the day is the most important thing for me to do that day. For sure. For sure. And I think I think about that so often. You know, in startups, it's very rarely that people aren't working hard. It's usually they're working on the wrong things. And that's mm-hmm. common from the, the founder level all the way down to the employee level. And so for us, we, we look at that as an approach to life, right? If, if we can help you, if you tell us, these are the things that I care about. These are the people I want to chat with regularly. This is my sleep schedule I'm trying to get. This is my physical health that I'm trying to achieve. We can kind of put up these bumpers around your life to make sure at the end of the day, you're not out there you know, rolling a gutter ball. Yeah, that's really useful. So how do you guys earn revenue as a company then? Yeah, so we, we're a B2B organization. We work with organizations to help their people maximize their health and their time. We work with over 70 enterprises today. And that's our, our revenue model. There's no direct consumer here at all. Okay. That's fantastic. I can see how that'd be really useful in the enterprise space to helping employees get time back. Totally. Is it workable then on, you know, MacBooks, PCs, et cetera? Is it primarily just on the app 
It's primarily phone-based. You know, our app works in Android, works in iPhone. We can, you know, build out pieces for employers around web if they're interested for but the thing about web that we found is that, you know, our goals are mainly around you. They're things that you already want to do. They're not necessarily work-related goals. You know, one of my goals in the app isn't to, you know, connect with an extra customer today or to submit an extra support ticket. You know, it's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. They're goals around the aspirations that you personally have. And so that's why we really like the mobile, because when it comes time for how you spend your day, that's where a lot of it's going. And it's where your personal time is ending up. So that's where we want to be. So is the, the play to employers to help them help their, their employees find better mental health? Like, is that the idea is like providing a tool to help them achieve the things that they want in their personal lives? Yeah. You know, it, it ties into a few different areas, right? You think of stress, anxiety, depression. Those are three areas that are related just to social talking to friends and family. Mm-hmm. And it gets hard. Yeah, you know, all the pieces of of our health today are pretty interrelated. You know, I have a bad night's sleep. Maybe I don't want to call my parents. They're going to give me a hard time about it. I can tell you that. <laughs> Sean, what are you doing? Uh, I mean, this so it's easy for these things to kind of spiral. And so for us, we're really focusing in on how do you help folks find that extra hour or thirty minutes, you know, throughout their day, just to connect on the little things. That's been a big, big part of the puzzle. Yeah. Well, I think it's useful from a productivity perspective for employers because I was telling a, a previous guest, like, you know, when I have a disagreement with my wife or like we're, we're at odds, like it can be something stupid, but it's like, you know, we didn't, we didn't go to bed well the night before I get in and dude, it's so much harder for me to be productive that day. For sure. I'm just lagging and I don't feel motivated. It's just, it's hard. Oh brother. Absolutely. Right. Things compound and they can start to slip. So Employers really like a tool like ours from a couple of reasons. One, they want to show that they're putting their best foot forward when it comes to employee mental health and resilience, right? The burnout issue is very real for a lot of folks. They want to make sure they're getting out in front of it. And then two, you know, by helping your employees be healthier and happier, you're going to enable them to bring their best self to work. So they get the productivity gains that you just mentioned. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, we're seeing a dynamic shift in the industry as a whole. And and our industry is like basically customer support, back office outsourcing. And these legacy companies have hundreds of thousands of employees, virtual sweatshops, don't care about employee wellness, hardly at all, don't pay well, et cetera. And there's this new crop of companies that are are coming up that care not only about their employees' wellness, but their vendor employees' wellness as well. And we're seeing this huge shift in priority for mental health. So I love that there are organizations like you out there that employers can use to help their staff have higher levels of mental health. I just think it's brilliant. Absolutely. You know, the funny thing for us as we were building this or coming up with this idea, we almost didn't realize kind of what we had. You know, for us with a lot of people who use the product, the number one thing they talk about, they say, you know, Sean, it's really great because the app logs it for me, right? It logs if I called mom or if I went to bed on time, if I got off Netflix, if I went to the gym. And so all of the things that we measure are measured in the background. It's not you going in and checking boxes. And that's a really big thing for so many people. I think about even the ones that are trying to put their best foot forward in wellness. It's hard. I mean, if you've ever done like a challenge where you go into an Excel sheet and enter a number or, or a lot of the apps that I think are re- really early pioneers, like the My Fitness Pals, where you're going in and checking boxes, it gets tough after a while. For sure. And I don't know if I've ever met someone who woke up and said, all right, let's check some boxes today. So giving them an ability just to like have it in their back pocket, have it kind of be keeping up with them. So they're not spending their time keeping up with it. That's been a big, 
a big draw and an unexpected draw. It might sound obvious when you're hearing it, of course, that would be the thing. But when we started, we, we thought it'd be much more about being holistic, having a lot of different options and less about that convenience or ease factor. But that turned out to be the biggest thing, arguably. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so interesting. I, I want to change gears and go yeah. and dive into your past a little bit. Sure. So, class of 2016 tech stars. That's right. I'd love to hear about that. And then your, so your first startup was Ilos. Is that fair to say? That's correct. Yeah. And that was acquired, right? Correct. By Paylocity. Okay. So tell me about that venture and starting with Techstars. Yeah, for sure. So Techstars was a great program for Ilos. We went down to San Antonio, the Techstars cloud program. We met a ton of the mentors down there, several of them from Rackspace, several local entrepreneurs from the community. You know, we had a lot of great interactions with folks down there. Uh, we met George Caritas, Pat Matthews, people that I still keep up with today. You know, all these all these years later, they probably thought they, they could get rid of me. They thought wrong. Such luck, huh? Absolutely. And so the program really did a few things for us. One, it kind of taught us a lot about how to run a business. We were all pretty young. I mean, we were doing ILOs right out of school. We didn't really have a lot of experience or exposure. And it taught us a lot about how to run a company, how to ask the hard questions, how to game plan, how to set regular recurring kind of weekly KPI goals and, and show that progress day in and day out, which has been important. That was a really big launching pad for us. At the end of Techstars, we raised a million dollars for that company, which was a ton, right? For us, you know, not really getting going. And, and from there, we turned that into some sizable revenue. We turned it into partnerships. We turned it into opportunities. And that was really where it all started for us. I mean, we, we were operating before then, but Techstars was a huge kind of foundational moment. Absolutely. So if LinkedIn is is accurate, it's what, five years that you were roughly five, a little over five years that you were involved with ILOS? Yeah, maybe close to six, something like okay. that in six years. Okay. Yeah. And then you kicked off with Better You in what, late 2018? That's right. So I worked at Techstars actually as their entrepreneur oh. in residence in okay. the retail program over here in, in the Twin Cities. And that was an absolute blast, uh, you know, working with Ryan and Sarah to help shape some of the next wave of retail tech companies that came through was an absolute, absolute pleasure. During that time, you know, I, I was kind of tinkering. I, I had ideas, I had a few different ideas, but Better You was one I kept coming back to because once I saw it, once I knew where my day went, I, I unraveled this, this onion, Jim, and everything started to stink. And I started to see it everywhere. I'd go to the airport and it's like everybody's on their phone. And I go, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> like, yeah. this is something. And I wonder if you were to ask every single one of those people in that airport at that moment what you're doing, how many of them would have like a concrete reason versus just like, I don't know. I was just, I was just hitting some buttons and this thing came up and here I am. I don't know why I'm here. Why did I pick up my phone again? And those were the moments that got me so interested because they were about intentionality and kind of this, mm -hmm. it goes back to this idea of coaching. Can you help someone find more time for something they are intentional about? And so that's kind of how I found myself going in this direction. So I, I'm curious on a personal level, how this has shaped your own behavior. Oh, towards your phone. Cause I, I think, I think it's probably true for most of us that we've had these like seasons of our life. We're like this damn thing. I'm putting this away. It's in the drawer every night at 7 PM or I'm yeah. still, like no phone vacation or whatever. And then it comes back out again. It's like, the oh. answer isn't as simple as delete my apps or leave my phone in a drawer. We all have the opportunity when we wake up in the morning to leave our phone in the drawer. I have never intentionally done that. I've done it on accident. Sometimes I forget my phone, but I've never intentionally done that. And there's a reason. The reason I believe is that this thing is magic. 
It lets me FaceTime my parents if I'm in a different country. It lets me learn Spanish way easier than I ever did in school. Shout out to uh, Duolingo. It lets me keep up with books without having to carry a bunch of them around. The issue we have with it isn't the phone. It's what we do with it. It's instrumental, right? Yeah. And so for us, rather than saying, hey, Sean, the answer is to take, go from five hours to zero hours. The answer is to say, well, if you're going to spend four or five hours on your phone, what if we took some of that time and rerouted it to those things that are most valuable in your life? Mm -hmm. Because if you do that, if you use your phone better, that's a win. And I'll tell you what else. It's a win not many people are thinking about or going for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. It's, it's, it's well, one of the, uh, the things I'm working on in therapy is thinking errors. And I have a propensity for all or nothing thinking. <laughs> you sure. Tell already. It's like, use it or don't use it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like, hey, actually in life, there's this gray area that we can, you know, utilize. <laughs> well, you get things. I mean, it's, there's, there's several like instrumental goods. You can even think of like currency, right? Like someone's like, oh, money, money's bad. Money's good. Well, it's, it's what you do with it, right? Like if you donate that money to a charity, like nobody's going to yeah. be pointing at you being like, oh, what, what did you do here? But if you use it on, you know, whatever, something bad, then yeah, they'll say, oh, what are you doing here? And so I think about our time is that same way, right? What you do with your time yeah. determines if it's good or bad, time well spent or yeah. time unused. Yeah. Well, I want to transition and read you a quote from Dave Mao. And he said, quote, I led my fund's investment in ILOS Video's first institutional financing round in my confidence in Sean's ability to deliver on the sales end was one of the main reasons I felt comfortable taking a shot on such a young team. And he goes on to say that it was, you know, quite effective. So I, I want to talk to you about sales. Like you have this energy about you. I can just tell that you're an engaging type person. I, I'm curious how you think of sales. I know it's very broad and we can, we can drill down, but I'm curious at a high level, how you think of sales and, and what your experience has been, you know, growing ILOS and now better you. Yeah, absolutely. I love Dave. This reminds me, I got to shoot him a text or something. It's been a while since I've caught up with him. Since the company got acquired, we don't really have a reason to, to talk or hang out as much anymore. But when I think about sales, especially startup sales, Jim, I've got, I've got a process that I've developed over time. And really it's, it's one big part experimentation. And when you're first getting started, you have to try things. You have to have theories. You have to test and validate. So you very much have the lab coat on. And that's kind of how I first approach sales. In most cases, I want to I want to come up with some assumptions. And the things I make assumptions about are my favorite three questions. I believe there's three questions you have to be able to answer before you're ready to talk to anybody. And those questions are why anything, why us, and why now? Why anything? That's why your product category matters. So if you're selling a SaaS-based CRM, and somebody's got all their contacts on a little black book, if you can't answer why anything, you're out of luck. Uh, the why us is why you should work with us instead of with a different CRM company like a Salesforce or a HubSpot, et cetera. I don't actually have a CRM company, but you know. And then the, <laughs> the last... The then you never, I, I, don't think I, I don't think I'll go that route, but maybe. The, the last one, of course, is, is why now. This is the one most founders struggle with. Why should you work with me today instead of in six months? This could be a play around loss aversion. You know, this could be something that you're going to get by signing up now. Well, we're going to get you, you know, an extra few months free, or you're going to be on this insider group and get better support than the next guy that comes in. Those could all be viable reasons. So it's those three questions. And what I do is I come up with theories around those three questions, and then I test them in the market. I get at bats with customers. I'll do outbound outreach, reaching out to folks. Mm -hmm. The thing that was really 
powerful for me. I, I never intended to go into sales. That wasn't my thing, right? I, when I start when I started ILOs, we thought I was going to be the finance guy, and I very quickly learned that in a team of three people, the finance guy has absolutely nothing to do. There is nothing. You pay the one bill, and you're like, "Well, your feet are up on the desk." <laughs> and then one day it hit me. You know, I saw our, our product person drawing up a feature. I saw our, our, our CTO kind of hammering out some code. And I thought to myself, but who's going to talk to the customers? And I looked at them and I'm like, and who's going like, to raise the funding? And I looked at them and I'm like, ah, who's going to like recruit people? And I'm like, I looked at them and I'm like, they're, they're going on. I'm like, it's probably not. It's probably not. And I'm like, oh man, like I have to like do a lot of these things, these like the, the social elements of the business. Yeah. which is fine. And so that day I sent, you know, 15 emails to random people. I thought we're really relevant for our business. And I did that every day for a couple of weeks. And it took me almost a month, Jim, to realize that I should have been following up with those people. I emailed one time 30 days ago. And that was really where I started to kind of build out my process and outbound chops. It was very much, I, I learned through a lot of tough experiences in the early days. Yeah. I, so I'm curious to ask you a, a, a question that's personally applicable, but I think will be really useful for our audience yeah. as well. Actually, a couple of things come to mind. So the first one would be, what are your thoughts on the founder or one of the founders being the initial account executive, being the yeah. initial one to sell, at least to close? And if yes, if that's wise for how long? Yeah, I love it. The problems we have today are rarely solved by someone we haven't met yet. And so you've got to figure it out at least a little bit, at least your first couple, right? Yeah. You have to understand why people buy because yeah. this is what happens when you bring someone on and they struggle and they will, even if they're the best, they will have moments of struggle and they turn to you and say, how should I think about this differently? If you can't help them, they're stuck and you're stuck. And so for me, I've always said, okay, you want to have one of your founding team members be that person getting those learnings because that is the fastest way you will learn. You're, your business development rep gets more conversations with the right title than you as the CEO ever do. Hardly seems fair, right? You'd love to have those conversations probably. So have them, have them in the early days when you actually can. And so I really encourage that. In terms of how long, it really depends. You know, I think after you do your seed round of funding, if you are going for the venture route, you probably want to bring on someone else to be closing accounts. You don't want to be the main person closing. That creates issues and concerns around do I just have a person who's really good at sales? Do I actually have a process that's working? The process that's working is more valuable. It, it's not to knock the founder's sales ability, but if you're the only one who's selling stuff, it might mean your process is bad, right? It might mean that, which means you should fix it. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm curious, you know, this one is more personal, but I think it would be relevant to, to our audience as well. Yeah. So my, I'm partnered with a, a guy named David Tran, former senior engineer at Uber, very technical. Like he is definitely kind of the CTO role of the business. Yeah, so it's sure. incumbent upon me to sell. So I love connecting with people. I, I love having conversations, building deep connections, former detective, uh, crimes against children. So like, I'm very used to like building deep connections and having those conversations. So I started, I'm like, Hey, I got to sell. Like this has to be my job. Kind of like what you said. And I'm like, time is of the essence. I start reading up on sales and eventually we get sales calls on the calendar. I'm like, I just got to go for it. I don't feel prepared. I'm just going to go for it. So my model is I'll do like 30 minutes of research ahead of time, have that conversation. And like, and I have an hour sales call. I'll speak with them about them, their business, their life, their background, et cetera, for like 50 minutes. The last 10 minutes, 
basically when they ask, I'll share about our product, our, our solution, et cetera. And it's working. And I, I know that's not a process or a system, but somehow that's working. And I, I think it's based on that connection. And we've had, we've had clients or prospective clients that became clients that didn't even shop around. They didn't compare pricing. They didn't compare other, other agencies to work with. And I'm, I'm just curious what, what you would say to that as I don't know, I guess we're at the stage now where we're considering bringing on uh, account executives, maybe a pair of them. And I don't know if it's like, Hey, we put them through standard sales training, let them follow that methodology, or do they follow my method that's been working? I'm just curious yeah. what you see in the industry. Yeah, it's really tough. I think, you know, you might be in an industry that's very relational based, you know, for me, for sure. I, I go into solutioning mode a lot. I hear about a process and I'm like, oh, here are some things I would try. And, mm. and for your process, I, I don't know, right? I haven't seen a recorded demo or anything like that. But like some of the, I, just as you were describing it to me, some of the things that I'd think about that I'd be curious when you're bringing other people on, I'd be real curious about the hour. I'd be curious if you need the full hour. One of the things that I found that can really accelerate the tell me about yourself, your background, kind of your aspirations with this meeting is literally a question. The very first question I'll ask after we, we you know, we'll intro ourselves. It's so, so Bob, why, why did you want to meet today? And really just kind of letting them say, Hey, this is the thing that I'm hoping to do. And if it's not a great reason, I, I'm very upfront, you know, cause I think it's about being open and transparent. And sometimes the, the folks in sales think they're there to sell the product. That's actually not what you're there to do. You're there to empathize with the customer. You're there to learn about the customer's pain point and point them in a direction that's going to help them. Even if that's not your direction, which is a hard thing to hear, especially yeah. when you want to increase your monthly recurring revenue line or your, your revenue line period. And so that's kind of an approach I've always taken. So I ask, what, why do you want to meet here? And, and they might tell me something that's relevant to our product. Hey, you know, my, my wellness program engagement is really low. I'm getting like 7%. Yeah. And I would say, well, you know, Bob, here's some what we're doing with a couple of our other customers. You know, HR Block, Line of Health. Here's, here's how they're getting 20 to 30% long-term engagement. And I'll walk them through just literally the plays. And some of those plays aren't even us. It's like the communications they're running. Here's how they got the word out. Okay, then once they get in the app, here's what our app is doing. We can dive in there a little bit. We'll show you how that works. All of it makes sense. And the thing that's most interesting for us, you know, we really anchor around this, like, why do you want to meet? And then what's important? As you're thinking for a solve here, what's important? What else is important? Which of these is most important? Mm -hmm. Because invariably what happens in your conversation, when it comes down to, hey, let's work together, usually there are objections. And sometimes it'll be around price or sometimes it'll be around this feature or this capability that you didn't mention. Maybe you don't do it. And that gets people really scared. They think, oh no, like it's all over. The deal is lost. But what's awesome about the framework I just mentioned, you anchor back to where you started. Mm -hmm. Bob, you know, the first thing we said was you want to find something that boosts engagement. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing there was an app that was easy to use. That was the number one. How we went through our app and you said it was one of the easiest ones you've seen in the market. He says, yeah, that's right. Great. And then the number two thing was, you know, maybe it was around price. And he said, yep. And we said our price is really affordable. Absolutely. And now you're asking us if it can come with the company logo. That wasn't one of the things we talked about. Is that, should we add it back there? Should we revisit? And you'll find out that a lot of the things people ask about, they're just, they're just fishing, right? They're just, they're just seeing what's going to bite on the hook. And if you've got something for them, classic mistake in sales people early in their career they do the demo, they throw out a quote, and then the other person doesn't say anything and they give something away. Very common mistake. Very common mistake. Because the moment you do that, and I'm a tough 
I'm a tough prospect, I guess, because I, I do this intentionally. I don't say anything after the price because I want to see who I've got on the phone and if they're going to uh-huh. give me something. The moment they do that, I'm like, wow, what else What else does this person have for me today? Like, they just gave me something. I didn't even do anything. This is great. Yeah. And so you want to be careful about that, right? You want to be, it's, it's a give and take kind of scenario where you want to be adding value no matter what. But you don't want to be just giving them, you know, hey, here's an extra discount. Hey, here's an extra feature. You, you want to make sure if you're doing that, it's linked to something meaningful. So those are a couple different tactics that I like to think about as I'm building out my demo. You know, really anchoring up front with some of those questions. Why do you want to meet? What's important to you in a solution? Assuming they're relevant on that side. And then anchoring it back to that when you see those objections and ultimately kind of playing that piece all the way through. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, when it comes to aligning incentives and hiring AEs, one of the things that you just mentioned is you effectively what I think I hear you saying is you don't want them to be so married to the outcome that they're not willing to say, hey, we actually don't think we're the best fit for you. We think this company would or for whatever reason, we don't think we're the best fit. Yeah. So how do you how do you think of aligning incentives with AEs? I mean, are we talking like a little bit higher base, a little bit less commission or like. How do you avoid the situation where they're just so dang hungry that they're like trying to? Yeah, I think you do. I think you can still do a close to 50 50 split base commission. I think you can still do that. The thing though is, have part of the commission be tied to retention Mm -hmm. because if they sell stuff that's bad, they lose that part of the commission, right? To a customer that's not going to be a good fit. That is linking it up, right? Now they're motivated to find customers that are going to be long term customers, and that's what you want. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So did I read correctly that you led uh, finding sales partnerships at ILOS? Is that? That's right. Yeah, zero to a million bucks in annual current revenue. So what's the, what's the magic sauce there in terms of forming those strategic partnerships? You know, on the partnership side, it can be a couple things. You know, we had some great partners. You know, Paylocity, which acquired the company, was a partner. Lessonly, which just got acquired yesterday, oh, was really? a partner. Yeah, out in Indy, uh, Max and Connor and company doing some really special stuff. For us, I think you want to find people who your product unlocks value in. So using the Lessonly example, right? We enabled them to add video directly into their LMS. They gave them a leg up. They had customers that were asking for it. And that was a feature that allowed them to help those customers get more value out of Lessonly, move them up in, into their enterprise plan in some cases. It was something they wanted to do. And they were a little ahead of where we were at the time. So we wanted to kind of link our two solutions together because we thought it'd be a great way for us to get exposure to some of their customers. And a lot of those customers were still, up until the acquisition, still customers of ILOS at that time. Like So it was a really valuable partnership. And I think you want to really judge by that. How much value you're adding to this person? You don't want to go by logo. Sometimes the biggest logo customers or partners, you won't add much value, if any, to. And it'll be a waste of time. Even though the logo looks good and they have all these customers on their platform, you also want to think about the type of relationship. Is it a bundle where you're joining solutions together? Is it a platform where they're just listing your app on an app store? Is it a reseller agreement where they take a cut? And how many other products are they reselling at the same time? So I evaluate partnerships really looking at the criteria, it's size of company, value we can add to them, which is the most important, and then the the partnership type, which which route are we going? Okay, so so if we look at the like the genesis of that relationship, it sounds like you're first considering how you can add value to that prospective partner. Correct. Yep. 
And then is that kind of how you start the conversation with them? Are we literally talking to you send an email? Are you trying to meet them at a, a networking event? Or Usually I do a lot of email. Sometimes I'll do LinkedIn or Twitter, right, for outreach. I, <laughs> I, I learned early on that if you're not hearing no regularly enough, you're probably not asking enough people <laughs> for stuff to help, you know, on that side. So I, I reach out for things. I'll reach out to people I probably have no business getting a hold of. Certainly in the back in the day, I had no business getting a hold of these people, <laughs> but you know, some of them respond and then you connect and you make relationships. I mean, sure. Certainly we, we met people out at conferences. We would do pitch competitions where we do very well and we get people to connect with us there, but you know, never be afraid to send a really well-written email, have a strong justifier why you're reaching out. If you do that, people respond. Hmm. You know, that's a natural segue into this question has been on my mind and that is, and this is one of those personal ones that I think is applicable to a lot of people as well. I, because I'm so turned off to salesy, high pressured kind of people, oh, yeah. I, I struggle to ask. It's like, I, I believe in our solution. I really, really do. Yeah. But there are times that I, I sense the opportunity is proper for me to ask. And I just Don't. shy away from that. Shoot. Yeah, the, the thing on that side, Jim, you know, there's a, there's a few thoughts. One, so in, in all of my demos, my very first call, I make an ask. And my ask is, Bob, based on insert the criteria we talked about is why you wanted to meet, does better you look like a fit for you today? I ask that question. And I want to hear an answer. I want to hear them say no and give me the objection. Because if they if the answer is no and they have an objection, if I hang up the call, I'll never hear what it is. They won't, they won't respond to me, right? But I can get it live on the phone. And I'm not saying I'll be able to, to dissuade the objection. Maybe it's a real hard objection. But at least I've got a shot. And at the very, very least, at least I get the feedback of why they didn't want to go forward. So that's a big piece. The second thing I, I usually will encourage folks to do is when you're on the demo, book the next touch points. It's a lot easier to connect with someone when you're already connecting. Hey, Jim, could we get some time next week, Wednesday? What does your 11 look like? It's a pretty hard thing to, to shut that down. The person basically has to hate you and tell you that. I mean, to shut that down. So, so usually you can get to like that next step meeting. I, I like, think those are two pieces. So I'd encourage you, if you're struggling with the, hey, you know, can we have your business kind of a question, Maybe think of a lighter one. How do we look? Do we look like the best fit to you today? Yes. Great. Where do, where do you want to go from here? Where do you want to go next? And really, instead of you driving, this is why we've all been on bad sales calls. That's why we have this negative association with sales. Yeah. The other person's like pushing you and poking you into these things yeah. you don't want to do. Let them drive, right? If they think you're a good fit, all right, well, how would you like to proceed? What would you like to go from here? Those are great questions. And they'll tell you, I got to talk to this person. We got to loop in IT. I got to get legal. Fantastic. You know, when's your next meeting with that person? Oh, it's in two weeks. Great. Why don't I get you this one pager that you can share with them? And we can plan on meeting up right after the meeting to see what questions and feedback they have. Mm -hmm. Boom. Suddenly you're in the buying process. You've got next steps. You've got a game plan for what needs to happen to get the deal. And even though you haven't won the deal, you're moving forward. Oh, that's brilliant. And you can do all that in your first demo. Mm -hmm. sure. Get a sense of the buying process. Get that verbal. Yeah, this is something I'm interested in. Or no, it's not. And here's why. Yeah. So when it comes to, to bringing on, I'm thinking through kind of bringing on AEs, training them, et cetera. Oh, yeah. are, are, I've heard, I've heard people say, founders say, when you're, when the, the founder of founders is ready to bring on their first AE, always bring on two because you, you want this healthy sense of competition. I've heard others say, no, 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 bring on one, very closely mentor them, help them to do well, help them to be successful. They'll go tell their friends. They won't say, Hey, 
you know, our founder helped me be amazing. They will say, I'm amazing. I did so well, you could do well too. And that sort of starts the process of, of you know, adding to the team. So I'm curious what you would say as far as process there. Yeah, you know, when it, when it comes to hiring, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with hiring too. I don't think that, I, I think like that, that to me it depends a lot on the founder and like what the role you're doing, how involved you want to be and can be in the process. You know, for us, we've brought on people in two at a time in the past, other in sales roles, other times we bring them on one at a time. We haven't noticed a huge difference on that side. Uh, but again, for us, like we definitely have kind of a sales culture where like other people will teach other people. And we have a Udemy course that people can go and do. That's like our sales methodology. And so we've got a lot of foundational pieces, which might be a little different than your average you know, 10, 12 person company where they don't have a lot of stuff. And I think that helps us with onboarding quite a bit. The most valuable things we've done, we'll connect you with customers. We'll show you mock demos, mock phone calls, or not mock phone calls, uh, recorded demos, recorded phone calls that have gone well and poorly. I think it's good to get a sense of both. Sure. Once people see the worst things that can happen, which aren't that bad, yeah. you start to go, okay, I can, this is fine. I can handle this. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's something we've been thinking a lot about at our company is we've been implementing EOS. Oh, great. Thinking of like right person, right seat. So yep. I'm curious for you, like what are you world-class at? What is the right seat for you? And I know that's a privilege to Ooh. get there and founders take, you know, more or less time to get to that place. But where is that for you? You know, it's, it's interesting for me. I, I think about this question a lot. If you, if you were to ask me kind of where I'm, what I'm best at, so kind of what my skills are the, the strongest in, it certainly would be in sales and business development which I think trickles a bit into the other things that I'm, I do well, which is fundraising and hiring, mm -hmm. which is all interacting with people. Yeah. That's what I was meant to do. <laughs> I'm meant to, I'm meant to chat with folks and, and learn about them and empathize with them and understand kind of where they're coming from. And, and it's fun. It's, it's the way I look at business. It's almost, I don't actually look at it as work, which is not, which isn't always healthy. I'll throw that out there. It's not always healthy, sure. but I don't know. I always kind of look at it like I'm, I'll get to hang out with like my friend at, at this company or at that company and like hear how they're doing. And mm -hmm. I don't know, you just get so genuinely caught up in, in how other people are doing and you root for them always, even like if they don't get to hear it or see it, like you're just kind of always in their corner, which is fun. It's you have a lot of these relationships. And if you like yeah. connecting with people, if you like having a good conversation, sometimes that's all there is to it, right? You get to, you get to make those moves. So, those are the things I'm, I'm really, really good at. In terms of what I'm building, kind of the right seat for me, I'm getting more fluent on the product side. Over the last three years, I've been researching and studying a lot in behavior design, you know, working with various thought leaders. We've got Dr. Tommy Koo on our team, who's an expert in social psychology and how, how we as people evolved around from a health perspective and why that translates into different relevant needs we have around sleep and health, social connection. All those different things. I've spent a lot of time studying uh, BJ Fogg and gone through his his kind of content and coursework on the behavior design world, which has been very very relevant. And so, really getting more fluent over there, and that's been a ton of fun. I mean, in the last three years, I've learned so much, and now every time I see a product or a web page or an app, I can almost instantly tell you what they want you to do on the page. Like they might have three call to actions, I can tell you the call to action they want you to do. And it's not like the most high value call to action. It's literally like what the page is trying to gear you towards or have they been designed using behavior design or not? You can pretty quickly tell who's doing it and who's not. And it's an advantage. I think it, it 
I, I don't know, in the world of, of health and wellness, where there are a lot of solutions and people are talking about clinical issues and preventative issues, having a lens that no one else has, it's a leg up for us on the competition. Yeah. It enables us to better problem solve, even when it's not us, that's the solution. Yeah, that makes sense. If you can think back to your earlier days at, at ILOS, yeah. how did you make that decision? One of the things that's, that's difficult, I think for most founders is, you know, I think most founders fairly early identify the right seat for them. They kind yeah. of just know. They get experience, multiple different areas of the business, wearing a lot of different hats. They excel in one area. They kind of yes. figure out like, I'm pretty good at that. Like, I think that's my thing. But then the problem is, or the challenge of a found, the, the founder world is, there's just so much to do. And as the team evolves, there's not always somebody to put in those seats. So how yes. do you look at that? Like, what would you say to founders that are like, maybe they're in operations and they're trying to get into sales, right? That's, that's the right seat for them, but they just can't let go over here. How did that process work for you? Yeah. I think there's kind of two lenses. One, if I'm working on something, I'm better at this now than I used to be. I'll ask myself, if I didn't do this, what would happen? Right? And sometimes the answer to that question is nothing. Nothing would happen. Nothing would happen for a year or six months. And if that's the answer, you probably shouldn't be worrying about that thing. You just shouldn't be doing it. That's a good way to look at it. If the answer is, oh man, this would be catastrophic for your team, then yes, you are doing the right thing, you know? But very often it's like you get caught up in little things that aren't as important as the ones you should be doing. So that's kind of one method. The other thing I think about often is, you know, it's really your job as a founder to replace yourself. And I was bad at this. I was bad at giving it up because I felt, you know, nine years ago, I felt like I was the best person to do the sales thing, right? That was what I should be doing. But I realized that, well, I might've been really good at the sales thing, there were other people that we could help be really good at the sales thing. Mm -hmm. And the parts that I could do that they, other folks couldn't do was kind of going out and figuring out a new market. What's our messaging? Mm -hmm. What's the why anything, why us, why now? How do we connect with these customers? What's the best channel? Running those experiments without getting discouraged. That was something that I could do that they couldn't do. And I said, huh, well, it makes total sense. We need somebody to do this role. And I need to go over there because... There's not anybody like if I don't do that, it doesn't get done. And that holds the company back in yeah. six months, yeah. a year. And so that really became a strong motivating force for me. So those are kind of two lenses that I look at it through. The first being, of course, if I didn't do this, what would happen? I love to use that lens for meetings as well. If we didn't have this meeting, what would happen? Oh, nothing. <laughs> Cancel the meeting. You guys, it's gone. Uh, you can do stuff on that side. The other piece. Right, just focusing in on on how we can uh, make those connects. So really good stuff on on both sides in terms of replacing yourself, kind of getting folks skilled up in that role. Both can be important. Does it come naturally to you to lead with trust? And what I mean by that is, let's say you're running X part of the organization, operations. You bring somebody up, you, you put them in operations. Is it easy for you to just let go and to trust and to walk over to your seat and do your thing? Or is that, has that been something that's evolved? Definitely the latter. That's hard, right? Yeah. It's when you let go of the steering wheel and you wonder if the car really can drive itself. I don't know. That's what they say, but it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem to work that way. Or you let somebody else drive, right? Is the other analogy. I, I think for me, I, I did it enough and I have, it's not like you disappear. You have those regular checkpoints, but the hardest part is you need that person to have really that innovator mentality, that creative mentality. If you're still sending the same emails three months from now, you messed up. 
if you're still running the same LinkedIn ads three months from now, you messed up. If your product is still the same three months from now, you probably messed up. And so thinking about that, you want to be ideating. You want to have a theory. It's okay for your theory to be wrong. It's never okay to not have a theory. How can you improve your lead rate? How can you close more deals? Have a theory. Have a theory. If you're leading sales, if sales is your job, you have a theory. That's all I ask. And it takes time to train folks in and kind of build up that mentality of, I have a theory. I'm going to test things. I'm going to iterate. But once you do that, it's amazing. I can't even tell you. I better you over the last month, we've probably run 50 different tests in our business. Some of them are outbound outreach. Some of them are product tests. I mean, we have teams that'll run four to eight tests like in a week, like and they get measured outcomes and see what's happening. And, oh, we should run this certification, not that one. Oh, we should build this feature, not that one. Here's what the users are telling us. So I think that part, if you can get to that, it's a lot easier to sleep at night as the founder CEO. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Yeah. Well, you know, Sean, you've been really gracious with your time. I, I want to end with this. You, you speak spoken in the past about founder burnout. Yes. I, I want to hear from you why you think that becomes an issue and how you would advise finders, uh, founders to combat that. Yeah. Yeah, you know, burnout is so real. We do this for a few reasons. One, we do it because it's a problem we care about something very personal to us. It's impacted us, our families, our loved ones, our friends. Or two, because we've got a unique skill set. And if we don't do this, maybe nobody does. And I think the best, the best founder market fits are where those things come together. But that also creates this echo chamber where you feel like you have to go for more. And if it's not working, you, you have to dig in your heels and push harder and harder and I can tell you that that's not sustainable. Mm. That it's possible to build something valuable. But if you're not taking care of yourself along the way, you realize what you're building isn't, isn't really what you want. You don't want to live that way. Yeah. And so I always recommend for founders a, a couple different tips. You know, on, on the one hand, I always say, like, set a positive example for your team. Limit the use of you know, especially with chat right now, limit the usage on Slack. I would actually encourage you not to use the online, <laughs> like set everybody to do not to away. And then like they can still message and it makes Slack much more asynchronous. It's designed to be asynchronous, but having that green chat bubble oh, makes it yeah. feel like you have to be on. And if you get that Slack at 7 PM or 11 PM, it feels like you should respond to it. Mm -hmm. Don't let it be there. It's designed to be asynchronous. And if you set yourself to away, I guess I get, I bet you won't even notice the message you got. There are very few actual emergencies in your company. And so it's okay to let yourself have a good night's sleep. I focus on that side. I also think, you know, as, as a founder, have other people that you chat with about what you're going through. Have other CEOs, other leaders that you connect with, because they're all going through some of the same stuff. Yeah. And, and talk about the real things. You know, sometimes folks talk about the rainbows and the sunshine. I let let folks know where you're struggling, both at the business personally. It can be as simple as I didn't get a good night's sleep the last four days. I'm really nervous about this thing that's going on. We've got this opportunity. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm anxious because I guarantee that those other folks will have been there in that seat and they'll have ideas on how they got through it. And if you really want to go far, it's easiest to go together. And there's nothing 
more apps about reducing burnout than, than that. Mm-hmm. Be open with your team, be open with your group of mentors and friends. That'll help you make those connections. Love it. Well, that's a great place to, to close, Sean. I, I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate you sharing wisdom. I know you're a busy guy, so thank you so much. We're going to link on the landing page to Better You, and that's betteryou.ai. And we'll, we'll link your LinkedIn as well. Where's the best place for people to reach out if they're A, interested in Better You, or B, just want to say hello? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great spot. You know, feel free to drop me a, a connect request on there. Mention, mention that you had a chance to, to hear our conversation today, and I'll, I'll add you right on that side. And if you're interested in the product on Better You, jump on. Jump on. You, we mentioned Drift earlier. We have Drift on our website, so you can start up a chat with someone on the team. That's great. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Sean. Hope you have a good afternoon. Appreciate your time. See ya. Bye-bye.